Hey, Nonprofiteers, welcome to Nonprofit Biz Talk with your host, Tracy B. Allen, nonprofit strategist and owner of TVA Consulting. Nonprofit Biz Talk is about empowering nonprofit leaders with the knowledge, skills, strategies, and concepts to manage, build, and grow a nonprofit organization that will positively impact the community you serve. Hey, everyone. So I am here to talk about starting a nonprofit organization. So the title of today's um, live is, So You Want to Start a Nonprofit, Now What? And I know a lot of people um, have some misconceptions about what starting a nonprofit actually entails. And I want to dispel some of those myths today and actually give you the right information, lead you in the right direction, and hopefully you will be able to decide whether starting a nonprofit organization is truly for you or you need to take a different route. So before you start a nonprofit, before you fill out any paperwork or anything, one of the first things I always suggest that the potential founder does is to do a personal SWOT analysis. And I know we've all heard about SWOT analysis. So it is your strengths, your weaknesses, your opportunities, and your threats. So what are your strengths? Do you have what it takes in order to actually make a go of this nonprofit? So do you have the knowledge and the skill set to do so? Do you have the financial means to float the nonprofit organization until it starts making a profit? Do you have the connections within your community to actually build the infrastructure and the exoskeleton that you need to sustain an actual um, thriving, sustainable, successful, profitable nonprofit organization. So those are the strengths that you need to think about. So what are your weaknesses? What don't you know that you need to gain knowledge on? And if you don't have the time to actually acquire all of the knowledge and you don't have the skill set to do certain things, who are you going to partner with? Whether um, it's another organization for free or you're going to hire someone to help you because Contrary to popular belief, you do need money to start a nonprofit organization, and you do need money to run a nonprofit organization, and starting up a nonprofit organization is not free of charge. So those are the weaknesses. What weaknesses do you have that you know may hinder the success of the nonprofit? So for instance, if you're an introvert and you don't like to talk to people, you don't like to go out and make connections, that may be a hindrance for you when starting a nonprofit organization. So you need to figure out what are your your weaknesses, then your opportunities. Your opportunities are your connections. Who are you connected to that, are, that is connected to someone else, that is connected to someone else that can help you to further your mission? Um, what organizations have you looked at that you, know, you can make those connections in order to um, excel the mission of your nonprofit organization? And then your threats. What are your threats? Your threats can be closely associated to your weaknesses. What do you have that's standing in your way, either in your personal life, your professional life, 
or knowledge-wise that is going to threaten the success of your nonprofit organization since you're the person who's going to be at the help. Now, if you do your personal SWOT analysis and you come out with more negatives than positives, then you need to figure out a way that you are going to combat those and make them into positives. Or maybe at this time, it's just not a good time for you to start this nonprofit organization. Maybe you need to go in a different direction. Like, volunteering with a nonprofit organization in your area that has a similar mission to the one that you were looking to solve. Now let's talk about the mission. That's the second thing you need to do before you do anything else is clearly define your mission and vet your mission. So a lot of people want to start nonprofit organizations because they're passionate about something and they feel like they want to help the entire community to overcome whatever it is that they see as their mission. But in a lot of cases, your mission may not be valid for the community, meaning that because um, your neighbor's daughter is pregnant and two houses down, there's someone else that's pregnant doesn't mean that you have a, pre a teenage pregnancy epidemic in your community. So you, you know two people that's very close to you that's pregnant. So all of a sudden you feel like, oh, wow, we have a teenage pro um, pregnancy problem in the community. Let me start a nonprofit organization to solve it. And it may sound funny to you, but I'm telling you, there are people who do stuff like that. Or you may know uh, five people in your um, parent group that have autistic kids. Does that mean that your whole community has an autistic, um, that has a, uh, you have a community of people that have autistic children? No, you need to now vet your mission, your potential mission by doing what I like to call a feasibility study or market research. You need to actually do what I call boots on the ground, have a survey and find out how many people in your community actually relate to the mission. They actually have a problem, that problem that needs to be solved. If it's five people and you have a community of 50,000, you don't need to start the nonprofit. Now, if you have, say, um, let's say 300 kids in your community and maybe 30% of those kids are autistic or 30% of those girls are teenage, pregnant and teenagers, you may have a problem that needs to be solved. The second thing that you need to figure out is who else in your community, what other nonprofit organizations are tackling this problem already? Because if there are other nonprofit organizations tackling this problem, then you need to talk to the um, ED of that nonprofit organization and figure out whether or not there are gaps in their services that you may be able to fill, or are they um, effective enough that they are actually um, containing the problem. That means that they're serving at least 90% of the market. Now, if they're not serving 90%, they're only serving about 60%, then that's an avenue for another nonprofit organization to come in and pick up that other 40%. But the worst thing that you can do in a nonprofit industry is to duplicate services within the community. If there's an organization within your community already effectively serving that populace, you do not want to come in and do duplicate services, therefore diluting the funding pool. It's already hard enough to get good um, sponsors, donors, and grants for nonprofit organizations. You don't want to come in and now battle with an organization to have that same funding pool. You're better off 
going in and pitching your program or service to the existing nonprofit organization, therefore joining forces versus actually being decisive. And most of the time when that happens, the newer organization ends up failing because you don't have the momentum or the force. You may think you do, but when you go and you realize how hard it is, and if you're not ready to really battle, you will lose at the game because they've already locked down a good percentage of the community um, for donations and support and, and such and, and alike. So be very, very cognizant of doing your market research, finding out does the, what the community really need the services that you're going to um, offer based on your mission, okay? Um, how do they need those services? When do they need those services? That is something that you need to think about as well because I may think that, okay, um, this population needs the services in one way, and then you come to find out that they need it in a different way. Let's take homelessness, for instance. Um, a lot of people want to bring homeless people into a facility to feed them, like a soup kitchen. But truth be told, a lot of homeless people don't want to come in off the streets because they're afraid of a myriad of different things. One of them, they have um, a lot of them suffer from mental illness and they have a lot of, um, you know, conspiracy theories that if they come in this and that and that, the other is going to happen to them. So a lot of them will prefer to be served where they are. So if you're going to start feeding the homeless, then opening a soup kitchen may not be the right thing, but actually going out and doing outreach may be a better um, avenue for you. So making sure that you understand what your audience is going to need, which is your clientele, and how they're going to need it, how they're best going to utilize whatever it is that you're going to be offering. Now, when you do your personal assessment, and you do your um, market research of the community and you've decided, okay, um, XYZ organization seems to be doing a pretty good job at handling this, but I see a gap in their services, the services that they offer. And I think I have a program that can really um, speak to this gap. Then you need to go in and have a discussion, have your proposal ready and talk to the um, nonprofit organization, and they can probably get you in there if they have disposable income, or they can write a grant to get your program in there. But because you see a need, my the biggest thing I want you to take away from this, because you see a need, doesn't necessarily mean that you need to start a nonprofit organization. You, there's volunteering, there's pitching your programs, and there's just doing your own thing. Everything does not need to be a nonprofit. Running a nonprofit organization takes a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of patience, and there's a lot of compliance issues that you need to deal with that a lot of people don't want to ad ad adhere to that's going to get you in trouble. And there's no quicker way to go to jail than to start a nonprofit organization and mess it up. That's the truth. So be very, very cognizant of what you're doing. Do that personal SWOT analysis. Do the market research before you do any. Thing else. So let's say you've done your personal SWOT analysis, you've done your market research, and you're like, okay, it's a go. There is a need in this community for what I offer, and I, <coughs> excuse me, and I want to start this organization. The next thing you need to do is to figure out who is going to help you build this organization. Because, because 
Unlike having an LLC or an S-Corp or a C-Corp, a nonprofit organization is not your personal company. It is a public entity. Therefore, it's ran by a board of directors. So the next thing you need to do is figure out who your board of directors are going to be. Who are these members? And when you're thinking about picking your board of directors, I will tell you, pick odd numbers, of course, because they're going to have to vote. And you always want that one person to be able to be the tiebreaker. So three, um, five, or nine. Three, five, seven, or nine. (laughs) I can't count today. (laughs) Three, five, seven, or nine. Three minimum. I think five is a great number and seven is even better. Nine is a lot for a new nonprofit organization. And here's why I like the number seven, because no matter how good you choose or try to choose your board members, there's always going to be one or two people who are just not going to live up to what they're supposed to do. So at least you have some extra board members to actually pull the weight of that person who's going to fall off the rails for whatever reason. Okay, so when you're choosing a board member who you don't want to choose are your friends and your family members. So don't choose your cousin Jojo over there. Don't choose your mama. Don't choose your grandmother. Don't choose your husband. Don't choose your best friend. It's called a conflict of interest. You want to stay away from conflict as much as possible. So you want to choose people who are going to be diverse, people who are knowledgeable, and people who are well-connected, as well as people who actually want to work. Because in the initial stages of being a board member, it's going to be what is called a working board. So they're not just going to be sitting back creating policy or um, making decisions. They're actually going to be helping with building the nonprofit organization up. So you want to choose people who have a work ethic, who have character that you can deal with. Again, not friends, family members. Please don't do that. That is just, it's a serious conflict of interest. You're not in a nonprofit organization to be like, it's mine, and I'm, I just want to make all the decisions. If you want to make all the decisions, you want to be the only decision maker in your organization, then you need to start an LLC. A nonprofit organization is not for you. That is part of your personal SWOT analysis as well. So I forgot to say that in the beginning. One of the things you need to assess is your need for control. So if you are a control freak, <coughs> If you are a control freak, a nonprofit organization is not the way to go for you. Because in a nonprofit organization, you have to acquiesce to the board. So if you don't like to be told what to do, you don't want to be told what to do, you feel like this is your baby and you want to take your baby to the next level all on your own, nonprofit organization, not the right um, avenue for you to take at all. So, okay. So your board members, diverse, diverse in age, diversity in um, ethnicity, diversity in sex. You want to make an education, want to make sure that your, your board looks like the people you're serving. Okay. Just that they're bringing a certain skill set. And like I said, connections that you can leverage to help propel the success of your nonprofit organization. So I said in the beginning that starting a nonprofit organization costs money. And it does. 
it costs money to start a nonprofit. Just like if you were starting your own company, an LLC, you would have to take money out of your pocket to start it. When you're starting a nonprofit organization, you're going to have to take money out of your pocket to start it as well. And the same way how you will file it as a deduction on your taxes, you do the same thing in a nonprofit. So starting a nonprofit organization does not mean that the setup is going to be free. It doesn't mean that somebody's going to hand you everything on a silver platter because you're starting a nonprofit organization. That is not the truth because the None in nonprofit does not mean no profit. Okay, so um, the first line of defense when it comes to fundraising in a nonprofit organization, besides yourself, um, because if you don't invest in what you believe in, who else is going to invest in it? Should be your board members. So um, you should be charging your board members what I like to call dues, um, but it's actually they're just donating to the organization. So you need to set a figure that you figure your board members can um, afford, and that is what they will pay every year to the organization as a donation, as a sign of faith that they actually believe in your mission and vision, and they want to support it. Um, that can be anything from $200, $500 a year, $1,000 a year. It's up to you. How they pay it is up to you. They have to, um, they have to approve it, of course, and make sure that it's something reasonable that they can afford. And it can be paid all at once. It can be paid quarterly or it could be paid monthly. I would never suggest monthly because that's a lot of paperwork to deal with, but quarterly or, or yearly or biannually is a really good way to um, do that. So now that you have all your board members on, on board, you need to, of course, have them fill out the board package, which talks about the whistleblower, the conflict of interest, um, them understanding what their duties their responsibilities are going to be to the organization. All that comes in a board package. Have them trained. This is the way I prefer to do it. Another consultant may not want to do it this way, but I find that this is the most successful avenue towards nonprofit success. When it's done backward or done in a different way, I find that it leaves too many gaps that are not filled that leads to the default or the failure of the nonprofit organization in the long way, in the long run. Because notice, we haven't filled out any paperwork yet. Because you need to build your team first before you actually go and fill out any paperwork. It can't be done backwards because this team needs to go on your paperwork. So how are you going to start paperwork if you don't know who your board of directors are going to be? So make sure that you get your board together, that they're on board, they sign all the documents, they understand their roles, they understand their responsibilities, and they're ready to work. If you can't do the training on your own because you are not knowledgeable enough, then you need to bring in a consultant at that point in time to do some initial board training to make sure that board members understand their roles and responsibilities. <clears throat> There's nothing worse that you can do than to bring board members on. They don't understand what they're going to be doing. And then you spring something on them. That is a board member who's going to run for the hills and talk poorly about your organization. You don't want that to be to happen. So now that you have all your board members on board, <laughs> um, that's a pun. But anyway, now that you have them you know, invested in your organization, the next thing that you need to do with your board members, because remember, they are the governing body of the nonprofit organization, is to go ahead and incorporate on the state level as a non 
nonprofit organization. So you'll go to your Secretary of State's office, fill out the online. Most most states have it online now. You'll go ahead and you will fill out the paperwork and pay the fees necessary to incorporate on the state level as a nonprofit organization. <clears throat> now, in the nonprofit industry, we use the term nonprofit very loosely. So a lot of people tend not to understand the difference between a nonprofit and a 501c3. A nonprofit is a state entity. So just like an LLC or S-Corp or C-Corp or sole proprietorship, a nonprofit is one of those entities that you can choose to incorporate on on the state level. After you've incorporated on the state level, you need to sit and create your business plan for starting this nonprofit organization with your board members. They have to buy in to the mission and vision of the organization. So you will sit down, make sure that the mission and vision is clearly defined and that you can start, that everyone is on board with what needs to happen in this nonprofit organization, how it's going to happen, and who is going to be responsible for the diff different facets of what's going to happen in this organization. So you've incorporated on the state level, you've planned out your, um, you've done your business plan. Now you are ready to fill out your 501c3 documents. <coughs> so that's with the IRS. But you have to become a nonprofit on the state level before you can fill out and be approved on the state level before you can fill out your 501c3 tax exempt documents with the IRS. And on that level, you can either fill out one or, or two. Of course, you know, you have to get your EIN number, if I forgot to say that. Um, and you get your EIN number before you do your nonprofit um, on the state level. You can either do the 1023 form with the IRS, or you can do the 1023-EZ. So the difference is the 1023EZ costs $275 to complete. You usually get that back within two weeks to six weeks. Um, I've seen people who've even gotten it back in a week. Um, sorry. So two weeks to six weeks, maybe longer. So don't um, quote me on that. But if they don't have a lot going on, you get it back really quickly. It's $275. But the thing with the easy, which is a lot of people filling it out because it's only two pages long, it's not very hard to fill out, um, is that you are only allowed to make up to $50,000 a year for the first three years. And you're only allowed to have $250,000 in assets. Now, if you are serious about making impact in your community, I don't know how you're going to do that with fifty thousand dollars a year fifty thousand dollars a year hardly takes care of overhead so you are not going to be drawing a salary and the amount of impact that you're going to be creating is going to be pretty limited okay now the other form is the 1023 which is a very long form it could be roughly about 26 to 30 pages um and it costs six hundred dollars to fill out that form but this form is very detailed so to, in order to fill the 1023 out, you really need to have that business plan done 
prior to filling out the 1023 because a lot of the information that you're going to have to put on the 1023 long form is going to come from your business plan. That's why it's so important for you to actually fill that business plan out in its entirety before you go to the 1023. Okay. Um, one of the other things I think I forgot to talk about when I talked about the board of directors, you should collect um, resumes from all your board of directors because one of the things you're going to have to do is to create a corporate binder and that has to be put into the corporate binder as well. And you need some of that information <clears throat> from their resume to put into your business plan as well as over on the 1023. So now that you fill out your 1023, you are not eligible to start fundraising and getting monies from people and telling them that they are going to get a tax write-off. Unless you get that determination letter back from the IRS that's saying, yes, we have approved you as a 501c3 tax-exempt organization, you should not be partaking in illegal fundraising. Because in most states, you also have to register in your state with the char charitable department or foundation or gaming commission, it depends on what it's called in your particular state, but you would have to register to fundraise in that state. You can be fined if you do not um, register. Some states it's free, other states it's 25. I've even seen some states it's up to like Massachusetts, it's $150 to register as a charitable organization in that state before you can start fundraising. Okay. Um, so you have gone ahead and you have <clears throat> done your strategic, I'm sorry, you've done your business plan. You've done um, your 501c3 application. You've sent it and you paid your either your $275 or your $600 and you're waiting. So while you're waiting, you just don't do anything. You have to continue the process of building your nonprofit, branding, marketing, coming up with your, um, your strategic plan, putting your programs together, making connections within the community. It's a lot of work, okay? So yes, you do need to write out a strategic plan because you do need to know in detail benchmarks for when things need to be done, who is going to be responsible for doing these things, and what is going to be the evaluative process for making sure that these things were done, done on time, and done correctly. Okay, so while you're waiting, you could be putting that together. While you're waiting, you could be furthering the um, education of your nonprofit board, making sure that they understand their roles and responsibilities, making sure that they are making connections within the community as well, and talking about your mission and vision. You need to be doing outreach within the community to let them know that this organization is coming putting all of your um, your documents together for onboarding and evaluation, creating your programs using the logic model, making sure that you sit down and actually write out your program step by step by step, like a curriculum, how it's going to be done, what are going to be the um, benchmarks for that program, whether it's something that's been taught or it's a service that you're giving, you still need benchmarks. Even if you're doing something like um, mental health services, how are you going to determine whether or not this group, um, this group counseling service is working for your clientele? What are going to be your benchmarks? And how are you going to use that data? Uh, uh, 
So let me go back and say that in a nonprofit organization and the most organizations, whether you're nonprofit or for profit, data is king. But in a nonprofit organization, you are nothing without data. Data runs the realm. You need that data. You need precise data. You have to be very organized. You need to have the data in order to file for grants. Nobody's giving you money unless you have proof that what you do actually works. You have to be able to back it up with facts and figures. So making sure that you have a system for collecting, maintaining, and evaluating data is going to be very important for the success of your nonprofit organization. Okay, so you have your data, you have your systems and processes in place for opening up. So making those connections so that when you do get your determination letter back, you can start fundraising right away and getting that money together. You need a cross-section. You don't only need one avenue. I know a lot of people start nonprofit organizations and they think that, okay, I got my determination letter from the IRS. I'm good to go with a looking for a grant. Most nonprofit organizations, unless they're smaller, you know, um, smaller grants like maybe um the one that walmart not walmart yeah walmart yeah that walmart has most people that start nonprofit organizations are not going to be eligible for major grants for two to three years it maybe even more into the process definitely not um viable for federal grants because any organization that you go to, any foundation that you look to apply to for grants, want to see a line of success. They want to see that you implemented, you evaluated, you made changes, and the success of your program, the outcomes are consistent from year to year. No one, even those foundations, they don't want to throw good money after bad. So if you're not able to prove that what you do works, most foundations are not going to give you the money. Secondly, you're not the only person looking for this particular grant. There are probably a thousand other nonprofit organizations with the same or similar mission to yours that are applying for these same grants. So you need to be competitive. And the one way you can be competitive is to make sure you have solid services and programs that you can back up with data. So you have to have several funding streams um, created for your nonprofit organization in order to stay afloat. Do not start a nonprofit organization thinking that, oh, I don't have to worry about it because I'm going to get a grant. That is not how it works. It works. And remember that I said in the beginning that the non and nonprofit does not mean no profit. In a nonprofit organization, you have to make money. You must make money. And in most cases, you need to make more money than if you were running a for-profit organization because in a nonprofit organization, you are not charging full price in most cases for the services that you offer. You are charging on a sliding scale. So a sliding scale, think about like if you went to the food stamps office to get food stamps, they would ask you how many people live in your household 
and how much income do you make? And based on the amount of people that live in your household and the income that's coming into your house, it determines the amount of food stamps that your family will receive. You're going to do something similar in your nonprofit organization. You are going to charge based on a sliding scale. And so um, if your services, because remember, you're offering com um, comparable services to a for-profit organization. Your services are no less um, professional than a, the services that a for-profit organization offers. You are just offering those services at a more affordable price to the, for the people who cannot afford to pay a for-profit organization for those same services. So let's say, for instance, you are a mental health provider. And if you went to a mental health provider as a private patient using your insurance, you may pay $250 an hour. Your nonprofit may start at full price at $100 an hour. And based on your sliding scale, people will go down that sliding scale to nothing. So if the person doesn't have a job at all and they need the services, you're not going to tell, oh, well, I can't help you. You're going to help them and they're going to be helped free. So that's why I say you need to have the same amount of, you need to make the same amount of money, if not more than a for-profit business, because you have to now subsidize that person that you actually gave those services to for free. Okay. So having paid services, yes. People pay for services in a nonprofit organization. Nothing in this world is completely free. Somebody's got to work. Somebody's got to be paid. So you have to have paid services in your nonprofit organization. You need, so that's called earned income. Okay, so that's one of the funding streams for your nonprofit. Earned income. The second would be donations from people who believe in your cause and want to support your cause. Um, the third would be fundraising events. I'm not going to get into the others because they don't really apply to startup nonprofits. They're more for um, more established nonprofit organizations. But at least those three funding streams. Earned income, spons um, sponsorship could be one, too, if you're having a special event, so four. Um, so donors and fundraising activities. And remember, I said one of your first lines of defense for fundraising is your board. One of the things, when apart from having your board pay dues, you can have your board be your board members. Each person be responsible for a certain amount of fundraising monies. So each board member, let's say their dues, which is your support for your organization is $500 a year, their personal fundraising goal could be $5,000 a year. That money's not coming from their pockets. They're just responsible for um, contacting their network of people to support your organization to the tune of $5,000. So you need to have a diverse um, spectrum for creating a revenue for your nonprofit organization so that you can survive, so that you're not just focused on getting grants. Because the one thing about grants that a lot of people don't realize is that grantors want to know, how are you going to sustain this program or service after our grant expires? Because no grant funder is funding you forever. It just does not work that way. So the grant may be for three years. So they want to know a sustainability plan. How are you going to sustain this nonprofit organization beyond the three-year mark? 
and you need to be able to clearly um, show a clear correlation as to how you're going to sustain the program or service after the grant funding has expired. And a lot of grantors will not give you the money if you don't know how you're going to sustain this, um, how you're going to sustain the program after it's finished. So um, what else? So after you've done all of that, you've created your strategic plan, you've created your fund development plan. That's what I just talked about is your fund development plan. Um, how are you going to sustain your um, organization? You've done all your programs and services. Let's say now you got your, um, your designation letter from the IRS saying, hey, yes, we approve you to be a 501c3 tax-exempt organization. Because remember, I talked about the difference between nonprofit and tax-exempt, two different things. Um, so you got that letter. What do you do next? You go and you register with the state as a charitable organization to make sure that you are compliant in um, fundraising in your organization. And you open shop. Opening shop does not mean you need to find a building, okay? A lot of people think that because they have a nonprofit organization. I hear so many people say, oh, I need to find a building. I need to find a building. Why do you need to find a building? You don't have any money to find a building. Who's going to pay for it? What you need to do, there are tons and tons of um, offices that, um, as a matter of fact, a lot of states, their local, what is it called? There's a local service that disseminates grants, and a lot of times they have office space that they'll donate to startup nonprofits that you can use for whatever it is that you're doing. Um, other times, you can find one of those co-working co spaces that is more affordable, and a lot of companies will donate space to you for sometimes three months, sometimes six months. I've even seen people up to a year, but do not put yourself in debt um, to get a building when you don't know or you have not created a plan for success. How are you going to sustain this, paying for this building? over a prolonged period of time. You're, you're, um, I meet nonprofit leaders too often who tell me about them losing their houses or they're on the verge of losing their house, their car, or whatever it is, because they made mistakes and overspending, being overzealous because they expected grants. Please don't do that to yourself. Um, once you open your doors, like I said, it's about making sure that you have a trained staff that your staff is knowledgeable in how to run a nonprofit organization. Running a nonprofit organization is not like running a business. There are similar avenues when running a nonprofit organization to running a business, but there are some compliance issues that you cannot do in a nonprofit that you can do in a business. And not adhering to those, um, those things can cost you your nonprofit organization and it can become, it can wreak havoc for you. Um, people have gone to jail. You don't want to do commingling of funds. You want to make sure you hire a CPA. Don't try to do your own books unless that's what you do for a living to begin with. Um, make sure that you're doing professional development because knowledge is power. And I'm very serious about that. I think this is the only industry that I see people jump into two feet first and they have no idea 
what they're doing. It is not the same thing as running a for-profit organization. I cannot tell you how much it is not like running a for-profit organization. And if you come into a nonprofit organization and you try to run it like a for-profit organization, you are going to end up in a lot of problems. It is not yours. It is not, you. I, let me repeat that again. A nonprofit organization does not belong to you. It is a publicly owned entity. Yes, you started it. Yes, you put money into it, but it is not yours. And I really, really need people to, to understand that. Please do not go out here telling anyone that I own a nonprofit organization. You can say I founded a nonprofit organization, but not that you own it. And you should never describe yourself as the CEO of a nonprofit organization, especially a small nonprofit. If it's a big nonprofit, fine, because you have a, a whole team behind you. But with a small nonprofit organization, you're just the founder and ED of that um, nonprofit. I know we all like titles and we want to make our titles look bigger than they actually are. But when you have a small nonprofit and a staff of two or three people, you're just the ED and the founder of the, the nonprofit organization. Um, you remember that you need to acquiesce to the board. The board runs things, not you. Um, you do get the ability to hire staff um, and consultants, but all the other major um, facets of running the nonprofit organization goes to the board. And let's talk about that because I forgot this part to tell you guys earlier is that you cannot put yourself on the board. You can't do that. That's a conflict of interest. The reason being is the board is the one who decides how much money you make. They decide your salary. If you do something wrong, they will reprimand you. The board can fire you. So no, there's no way you can write into the bylaws, um, which is something that you needed to do prior to um, your business plan or along with your business plan is to create a bylaws. It's like the Bible of how your nonprofit organization is going to be ran. You cannot write into the bylaws that you cannot be terminated from the organization. That's not a thing. You just can't do that. So um, no writing yourself into the bylaws saying that the board can never terminate you because you own the nonprofit. I've heard that. I've seen people who try to do it. That is illegal. It is a conflict of interest. It just does not work. So please don't do that. Um, and so, yeah, you cannot be on the board. You can be an ex facto board member, which means you can sit in, you can um, give your opinion on different decision, um, different topics and help them to come up to a decision. But once the um, voting happens, you need to leave the room because you don't have voting rights. Even if you started the nonprofit organization, you do not have voting rights on the board and you cannot sit on the board as a board member. Again, conflict of interest, no family members, no sitting on the board. And I think that that's about it. Does anybody have questions? Because everything else is going really deep into the running of a nonprofit organization. It's not surface information. So please let me know if you have questions. If no one has questions, I'm going to log off. Um, if you do have questions, if you rewatch this at a later date and you have any questions, please feel free to drop the questions in the comment section and I'll answer them. Um, also, I do have a program called Nonprofit Made Easy it is a 12-month coaching program. It's the on-demand course. It takes you step by step by step.
through the process of starting a nonprofit organization gives you all of the knowledge and skills that you need to be successful at starting a nonprofit organization. And just for this group, if you are are interested in the program, I will give you 50% off. Just inbox me um, that you saw this and that you would love to join the Nonprofit Made Easy program. And I will give you the code to get your 50% off. Um, you can't get better than that because it also gives you a free coaching with me. So um, let me know if you are interested in that. Again, thank you for joining me today. And Coachery, thank you for asking me to come into your group and do this live for your team. All right. Have a nice day, everyone. Okay, Nonprofiteers, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. And remember that there's someone in your community counting on the services that your organization offers. And it is your job to make sure you get it right.